Yeah, thank you. Let's pray together. Uh, so, God, we thank you for words of life, Lord. That's really what prophesy is about. It's about speaking words of life that you give us, Lord, whether that's into the moment or for someone specifically that you show us. So, God, we, we receive that, Lord. We receive the victory of Jesus who went to the cross to win the victory. And who now goes before us. Every step, every day. We're never alone. Because you are with us. So God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Do what only you can do now, God. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. And open up to Mark chapter 8 today. We will be in verses 1 through 21, 1 through 21 of Mark 8. Um, I want you to think back on your life. Um, this is just what probably feels like a pretty safe question uh, for today. Uh, have you ever faced what you felt like was an impossible situation? I'm talking about like challenge off the charts, Maybe, maybe you're facing one of those now, um, you know, just where you're up against it. You don't, you don't see uh, where there's a, a way or a clear path, um, and you're just, you're just trying to sort through it and work through it. And, and maybe you're praying and bringing other people into that, but just what feels like an impossible situation. Sometimes they're about opportunities like a, a job opportunity or, or maybe you felt a little, uh, a little bit of like a, an impossible situation when you had that crush on that special someone uh, and you were a little nervous about it and just trying to figure out, you know, how, how do I, you know, approach them and what do I say? And you, you play that conversation over 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, and maybe even in the mirror trying to practice a little bit, you know, and then you totally forget what you were planning to say. And, uh, you know, it could be just anything. Uh, maybe, maybe you were dreaming about uh, just, just a new endeavor that led you to move across the country. Hello, Boston. Or across the world, right? Hello, Boston. And, and, and you were just up against it. I remember for me in my doctoral studies, how many of you know Pastor Tanner is a doctor? Most people don't. You maybe read the website, whatever, you know. We, we put that on there because there's so many PhDs in Boston. But, you know, the only people that have, I get like four pieces of mail in my life that have ever said Dr. Tanner Turley, okay? That's from the school I graduated from and my grandmother, all right? So, uh, anyway, <laughs> but I almost didn't graduate for sure because I remember uh, my second semester, I'm in hermeneutics, which is the art and science of biblical interpretation, which you wouldn't think would be that hard, uh, and you would have to have a doctoral class about it, but we were really diving deep about, you know, the history of interpretation and all of these schools of thought about it, and uh, I was assigned to read and present the book, Is There a Meaning in This Text, by Kevin Van Hooser, and, and, and as I was reading it, and then rereading the first 200 pages, and rereading the first 200 pages, and then rereading it, and then trying to consult with friends to help me understand it, and then not understand what they were trying to tell me. So I was rereading and talking to someone else. And I, like, I just thought, I am, I am never going to understand this book. And not only am I not, never going to understand it, because I'm never going to understand it, I'm going to go in and present on this book, and I am going to be exposed. 
and possibly expelled from the PhD program at Southeastern Seminary. Um, but, but, but thank God, thank God, Lord, I just want to thank you right now for Terry McQuaid, in Jesus' name, who helped me understand and prepare my presentation. I wasn't cheating, all right, take heart. Um, but, but just, you know, made it through by the grace of God. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the, just the point of, of, of just this kind of thought experience, whatever it is for you. In those moments, there are usually two controlling questions we ask ourselves in those moments. Do I have enough and am I enough? Do, do, I have, like, do I have the resources? Do I have enough to make it, to, to, to get to the other side, to get the job done? But, the, but the, the, the heavier question is an identity question. Am I enough? Do I, do I have what it takes? But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus invites us into a better story and a better way where he flips the question every single time. The questions we now ask as we are in Christ are not, do I have enough and am I enough, but does he have enough and is he enough? Can I, can I get an amen to start the sermon here today? Thank you. And this is what we, we find here in Mark chapter 8. What we find here in this passage is Jesus doing Jesus things, which is doing a lot with a little. A lot with a little. That's, that's, that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. So I want to read for us the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 8 that get us into the story as Jesus ministers to the crowds that gather around him. This is what verse 1 says. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now, check this out, three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down, down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they, the crowd, ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. 
and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmutha. The opening words of this chapter, so good to see some of you that I haven't seen in a few weeks or a few months or it almost feels like a few years, so good to see you. Um, as, as this story opens up, it says, in those days, and this seems to point us back to the, the period and the location that we just read about at the end of chapter 7, where Jesus is in Gentile territory, that's non-Jewish territory, who would have been considered the Jewish people's enemies, and he's ministering to people. So much so that he heals a, a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. And this man who can't hear and can't speak well can all of a sudden hear perfectly and speak perfectly. So much so that in verse 37, as Pastor John pointed out last week, it says, and they were astonished beyond measure. I hope that's your experience today. They were astonished beyond measure, saying he does everything well, even making the deaf hear and the mute speak. As John pointed out, this was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 35, where where Isaiah said, hey, when the Messiah shows up, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. And all of this will be like streams in the desert, which is a, a picture, a metaphor of life coming to dead places. Wherever Jesus goes, there is life. So it's little wonder that a massive crowd is gathering around him. And this crowd presented a great opportunity as Jesus is continuing to, to, to teach and to preach about the kingdom of God and surely continuing his healing ministry and maybe casting out a few more demons. And, 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 but there's a problem. They've been there three days. And not only are they super hungry, but they're so hungry that if they travel miles back to their homes, they might faint on the way. So not only are they hungry, but they're in an unsafe situation. And so Jesus has compassion. His, his words in verses 2 and 3, check them out. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far. Implied in this statement is, is this. The people are really hungry, and we better do something about it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, these people need food. We need to do something about it. And then what unfolds is an amazing story of provision and multiplication that gives us, I believe, a framework by which we can participate in the works of God in our day. So, so if you want to know, like, my kind of philosophy of, 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 of life and mission and ministry and being a pastor, okay, is so that the people of God, anyone who follows Jesus, becomes not a spectator that is just spectating about everything going on in life and in the kingdom of God, but we are called and invited in to be participants, not to spectate, but to participate, 
And so we see here a framework by which we can do that. It's a, it's a, it's a vision for multiplication. Jesus shows us that from the beginning of Mark, the whole point of Mark's gospel is for people to see, as the opening verse says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. The whole, this, all 16 chapters are just to help us see Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, if he's really the Son of God, then he is the one that we should follow. And so when he invites us to follow him, he just says that very simple invitation. Follow me. That's all you got to know. If, if you, maybe you're hearing Jesus speak that to your heart today by the Holy Spirit for the first time, whether you're here in the room or joining us online, he's saying, follow me. Follow me. But if you're going to follow him, then the, 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 the necessary result, okay, not just like the to-do list of what you have to do, but I'm just telling you it's the inevitable influence of what happens when you truly are following Jesus, however slow it may seem, however imperfect we are, okay, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It will happen. We will follow Jesus in such a way that we're inviting other people into this journey. This is why we keep talking about in 2021, the multiplication middle. We follow Jesus. He multiplies himself into us. And now as, as Jesus is multiplying himself into us, we then invite other people into that and multiply ourselves into them. That puts us in the middle. And so this vision for multiplication that is near and dear to the heart of Christ, we, we have some principles that we can, we can glean from this as we learn. I forgot the first point. I'm so excited today. Listen, Jesus can do a lot with a little no matter the circumstances. That's what we see here in this, in this uh, opening story. Jesus can do a lot with a little no matter the circumstances. So the question I'm putting before us is, how can we join him in that? I hope you're, you're on the edge of your seat right now, if not physically, at least metaphorically, because God made you to participate, not spectate. How do we do it? Number one, we gain God's heart. We gain God's heart. You might want to write it down. You can probably memorize it, but you might want to write it down if you have a forgetful memory. Okay, so what's going on here is this. There is a serious logistical problem. Very large crowd, 4,000 people, very little food. We're talking about seven loaves of bread. And the disciples grasp the magnitude of the problem in verse 4. They say it. They say, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Let me just translate this for you, okay? Uh, what they're saying is, Jesus, we are in an impossible situation. Not only do we not have bread, and not only do we have the, not have the resources to go buy the bread, but even if we had the resources to go feed 4,000 people, we couldn't even get there to buy it and back in time to take care of everyone. But Jesus is undeterred. He asked them, well, what, what do we have? How many loaves are there around? And they come back and report seven. And, and what I want us to see here in, in this story begins to unfold is that there is a stark contrast between the heart of Jesus and the hearts of the disciples. The disciples see 
impossibility, Jesus sees opportunity. The disciples think practically, Jesus thinks supernaturally. The disciples are filled with unbelief, Jesus is overflowing in faith. And just so you know, just so you know, what makes this 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times worse is that these same 12 disciples, just two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, saw Jesus do more with less. 5,000 men, which tells us probably 15 to 20,000 people were around without food, and Jesus takes this time Five loaves, two fresh fish, really a, a little kid's lunch is what it was. The, the loaves, we're not talking about Trader Joe's market basket, all right, whatever, okay? We're talking about five small cakes and two fish just to flavor the, the, the little cakes. And, and that's what they had to work with, and Jesus feeds everyone. But they're, they're totally not even considering that. They, they respond in, in doubt and unbelief. And, and listen, you know this. The question is not whether we are going to face situations and circumstances that exceed our resources, for surely we will. The question is how we will respond when we face them. Will we respond like the disciples or will we respond like Jesus? The invitation today is to gain God's heart to gain the heart of Jesus Christ. We are invited to see like he sees and to think like he thinks and to feel like he feels. I mean, that's how he starts the, the story. It says, I have compassion on the crowd. He felt for them. He felt with them. They were hungry. That, that bothered him. No one had or has more compassion than Jesus because no one sees the situation better than he does. Jesus' mercy arises out of the gap. And, and the gap that I'm talking about is the gap between the way God wants it to be and the way that it is. God's original design of flourishing and shalom and our brokenness and sin and lack of provision. And that's what's moving, that's what's moving the heart of Jesus. He's saying, I know we're over here, but I want to get us there. And compassion is the bridge that gets us from one place to the other. And so the catalytic Christ here is saying, we've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about it. And we start by gaining his heart. But then the second principle of this multiplication vision is to then... Bring our best. Bring our best. I love the simplicity of verse 5. It says, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? <laughs> I mean, I just would have loved to just, with my own eyes, just kind of been at, been at, I mean, maybe not in the disciples, you know, because I probably would have been right there with them. Like, hey, seven, you know, like, oh, so far, what are we going to do? We don't have any resources. But, but just to see Jesus with simplicity say, hey, what you got? What, what we got to work with? Seven loaves? Okay. And when the disciples report back, this was not like, you know, seven. You, Jesus, remember, 
five, now seven. Like you can, we had 12 baskets left over last time. We're probably gonna have like 50 because you can do anything. This is like seven. We ain't got Jack. So it might have been, there were probably some disciples, you know I mean? Because they, they were works in progress clearly. Uh, and we're about to see more in just a minute. Uh, it's probably like seven. We, did, we done told you, Jesus, we ain't got no bread. Seven, seven with a snicker. But Jesus, Jesus is just, un, you know, how many times did he just patience and just, uh, thank you, seven. Give me the seven. And Jesus goes to work. Jesus then, just like with the little boy with five small loaves and two fish, he takes whatever the situation affords because he is not limited by our limitations. Jesus, in every circumstance, he's speaking to our hearts today. May 23rd, Pentecost Sunday, or whatever the date may be, he's saying, bring what you got. Bring what you got. Bring your best. Bring whatever you got. You might not have much. You might not have much in resources. You might not have much within you. But Jesus is just saying, bring your best. Because when you bring your best, I will take whatever your best is, and I will do more with it than you can think or imagine. Just go read Ephesians chapter 3 at the end where Paul is praying about the love of Christ. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly, he just keeps stacking up terms more than we ask or imagine. This is who our God is. And this kingdom principle, it applies in every situation. You need to hear this today. Please hear this today. Jesus is not looking for the spiritually elite. He's not looking for the spiritual elite. He's looking for people who will give what they have. You may not think you have much to offer God. And I understand because sometimes I feel that way too. Look, I know you're looking at like Pastor Tanner. He's all up here. He's all filled with the Holy Spirit today. He's all preaching like crazy. And like, oh man, it must be easy for him. Well, guess what? It's not easy for me. Satan hates me too. He's spitting lies in my ears all day long. I have doubt too. I get discouraged too. I never planned on being a pastor. I was going to be a basketball coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, too. Like, I was trying to play. And I didn't think I could speak in front of a crowd. Like, that's. Freak me out. But this miracle here, this miracle, miracle here teaches us that, that as we gain God's heart and we bring our best, that puts us in the position to watch God work. Watch God work. Jesus takes the seven loaves and he multiplies them and everyone eats as much as they want. The text says in verse 8, it says they ate and were satisfied. How many people ate and were satisfied? Verse 9, 4,000 people were eating and satisfied. And, and what started with seven loaves becomes seven baskets full that are left over. And we see here that Jesus is the God of abundance. Jesus is the God who can do anything, anytime, anywhere. I love uh, 
my seven-year-old. Jordan had a birthday on May 10th. Can we give it up for Jordan? Ten year, seven years old. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to talk about her today. All right. I'm like, Dad, what you? All right. Listen, I love with, I love with Jordan. They've been learning about uh, leaders in, in church history in their, their, their school. Um, they've been learning about uh, Elizabeth Elliot and, and St. Patrick and, and, and Francis of Assisi and all these, these great uh, men and women of God throughout the centuries. And, and so that just sparked some conversations where I was like, what did you learn at school today? And, and they're sharing some of those things. And, and my little mantra with Jordan, and this is for you today too, God can do anything through anyone. God can do anything through anyone. And I'm just asking God help us to believe that. Because when we believe that, listen, we, we live differently. We step into the game. We get off the sidelines. We say, God, I ain't got much to offer, but, but I'll just give you what I've got, and I'll watch you work and, and do much, much more than I would ever have imagined. We see here that Jesus is operating with a different level of spiritual vision and spiritual power. Now, I'm going I'm to say something, and it might hurt a little bit, so I just want to give you a heads up. Are you ready? One of the greatest reasons you lack spiritual vision and spiritual power is because you are not walking very closely with Jesus. These are the, the kingdom facts. I don't say that to shame you. I say that because as we spend time with anyone, and especially the Son of God who loves us, made us, redeemed us, saved us, called us into a whole new life, all right? Listen, as we spend time with him, what happens when you spend time with someone? They rub off on you. You hear what he says and thinks about everything, and you start thinking the same way. You start, you start believing the same way. This is why we're not, we're not going to apologize in our church for talking so much about one million minutes with God this year. And what that means, like, what is that? Okay, <laughs> what we're saying is, like, if just we as a collectively, as a church family, uh, would, would just prioritize at least operative words being at least 15 minutes, three fives of 50, 15 minutes with God every day, your life is going to change. And I'm just telling you, when you get to 15 consistently, you're going to want to go to 17. I can get used to this. Oh, Jesus had a spiritual vision and a spiritual hunger and a spiritual power. And we can too. Because we follow him and he is in us. Jesus can do a lot with a little, no matter the circumstance. And number two, and we've already touched on this, so I'll see if I can speed up. It's going to be tough today. Jesus can do a lot with a little, no matter the person. No matter the person. We move from impossible circumstances to what feels like impossible people. 
Look at these first few verses here in verses 11 through 13. Remember, Jesus is getting off the boat, verse 10. Now verse 11, the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Let's keep reading. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them, saying, uh, they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus, in verse 15, cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket full of loaves did did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus has two encounters here. The first, he gets off the boat. He goes from the Decapolis over to the other side, the, 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 the side of Israel, of the Sea of Galilee. And as soon as he gets off the boat, he has these religious leaders who are coming to pick a fight with him. And they want to argue and they want to debate and, and, and they, you know, are, are, are asking for a sign from heaven. Maybe that's like a literal sign from heaven, like, you know, God showed up in a cloud and fire or maybe fresh manna from heaven. Uh, you know, they talked about that in John chapter uh, 6, I believe. And uh, so maybe that's it, but maybe they just want any kind of sign. Like, hey, we've heard you raised the dead. Like, show us a sign from heaven. Show us that God's really with you. Show us that, that, that God is really in you. But, but we see here, Mark helps us out by saying in verse 11 at the end, it says, they asked him for a sign from heaven to test him. They weren't sincere in their request. They had ulterior motives, okay? They, 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 really didn't, they really didn't want to believe in him. They were just looking for an opportunity to set him up for his downfall. Which as a friend shared with me this week, someone said, it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. I mean, I know you've never been like the Pharisees, so we're good. We're good, right? But look how Jesus responds here. It says that he sighed deeply. He sighed deeply in his spirit. We should feel the weight of frustration. We should feel the sense of holy exasperation in his heart. He says, why? Why do you ask for a sign? You don't really want to see a sign because as he he said in another place, like even if someone comes back to you from the dead and tells you everything that you need to hear, you're still not going to believe them. 
So Jesus just says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given. And he's out. I mean, it's crazy to think Jesus just gets off the boat, and now the Pharisees show up arguing with him. So he's like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the other side. I'm like, I need a reprieve from these people. I am going to the other side, back to where I just was. And we would expect, we would expect that the situation would get a little bit better when he's in the boat with his disciples and not the Pharisees who were opposing him. But we learn that the disciples forget to bring bread. So like, you know, they've already experienced hunger. Like they're going to experience hunger again because the disciples can't even remember to bring the bread. And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus, hey, Jesus fought for vision. We talk about fighting for vision at Redemption. That means like seeing an opportunity to see God in everything. So Jesus takes the opportunity for a teachable moment, and he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. What is leaven? Leaven is, is like yeast. It's a, it's a small substance that, that permeates a, 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 a small lump of dough that, that, that spreads throughout so that the whole lump will rise as it's supposed to. But clearly here, Jesus is not using this in a positive sense. He's using it in a negative sense. He's saying that the teaching and the living of the Pharisees and of Herod will spread if we're not careful to hear it and reject it and to teach to the contrary the good news of the kingdom of God. So you need to watch out for the things that they say and what they ask for and how they live. You say, well, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, we just saw the, the previous verses. They're, they're, they're testing Jesus. They don't really believe. They want to see signs, but they don't want to see signs to believe. They just want to see signs to either be in awe or to find some twisted reason to, to incriminate Jesus. But then we saw in chapter 7 all about the traditions and commandments that, that, that they set up a lot of rules, but their hearts were far from God. And Jesus calls out their hypocrisy. So the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees is, is a hypocritical uh, spirit. It's saying one thing and, and doing another. But what about the leaven of Herod? What, what might that be? Um, it, it, it probably at least uh, carries this idea of raising up our authority above the authority of Jesus. And since we're keeping it real today, this is what everyone does. This is what, you're like, I'm not a king, Tanner, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. God, okay, so this is us, this is Jesus. Okay, uh, Jesus, I know best. Jesus, you said this, I'm going to do that. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. We want to have the authority. We say, Jesus, you're my Lord, but that's the leaven of Herod. And you would hope that the disciples would be tuned in in this teachable moment, but they totally miss it. And we see that because it says, it says in verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. I mean, they're coming back to the bread. 
Leaven of the fair. Oh, no, but you forgot. The, no, you forgot the bread. Why didn't you bring the bread? No, you should have remembered. The, you were with those people. They had all kinds of bread. You didn't get the bread. And Jesus is just. <laughs> Jesus asks a flurry of questions. Why are you talking about bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? So let's just, let's just break this down as we go. Okay, a lack of spiritual perception and a lack of spiritual understanding. A lack of spiritual receptivity in your heart. That's what a hard heart is about. A hard heart is not receptive to the things of God, the teaching of God. You read the Bible, it has no effect on you. Perhaps because you have a hard heart and you need God to soften your heart. Having eyes do you not see? Jesus is saying there's, a, there's physical vision and there's spiritual vision. We'll talk about this more next week. I can't wait. And you can't see it. You can't see it in the supernatural. You can't see the, the spiritual truths that I'm trying to show you. You, can't, you have ears, but you can't hear what I'm truly saying to you. And just to, to add to the list, you have spiritual amnesia. Do you not remember? I mean, we're talking about colossal failures in the boat with Jesus. Okay, number one, 5,000 people, Mark chapter 6. Hey, like, we need to do something about it. And they're like, there's nothing we can do. I mean, we saw you raise the dead, but feeding people, you know. So that's a failure of faith. And, and now we just saw in, in Mark 8, uh, you know, 4,000 people, seven loaves, mm, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Another failure of faith. And now here, as, <laughs> I love this, we were talking about this passage because it was our Bible reading plan for the year that we set up to, to try to help you get into the Word this year and to do it together in community. So Mark chapter 8 was on Thursday, and Thursday we had our staff meeting, so we were reflecting on this, like, give me some good stuff for my sermon, guys, because that always helps. And, and James Hoder said, you know, it's crazy because, you know, they're, they're talking about bread, but Jesus could have taken the water in the Sea of Galilee and turned that water into bread. Thanks, James. Another failure, 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 lack of faith, lack of faith, lack of faith. And in all of his questions, Jesus is saying this. You have missed the point. Not simply the point of my teaching, but more importantly, the point of who I am. You're not seeing me clearly. You're not, you're not understanding who I am, that I am the Son of God, that I can do anything, anywhere, anytime. And I don't know about you, but as I read the Gospels, and I see particularly here the Gospel of Mark in this section, I'm just like, Jesus, for real? Jesus, really? These are the guys you, you picked 
They can't even remember the, the physical bread, much less grow in faith to be the kind of people that you're going to hand your mission over to. But Jesus. But Jesus. Let me say it again because some of you aren't with me yet. But Jesus. Let me speak that into your heart again today, this morning, on Pentecost Sunday. But Jesus. Jesus is still in the business of doing a lot with a little. That's you in the boat. That's me in the boat. We just, listen, we, don't, we may not bring a lot to the table. We may not have it all together. We may not know the Bible inside and out. We may not be able to, like, we may not be very loving people yet. We might be kind of angry and rude and all of this. But listen, Jesus does a lot with a little. I hope that resonates with your heart today. I know you may be thinking, God, not only do I not have enough, but when I look in the mirror, I often doubt that I am enough. And so, Jesus, one more time, Jesus, one more time, I need you to do, I need you to do a lot with a little. These stories are screaming to our souls today. Jesus is the Son of God who does a lot with a little, and he does it by his spirit. How is he doing it today? How is he taking average, ordinary people like me, I'll start with me, like me and you? He's doing it by his spirit. Because I just, I want to share with you as we wrap up, and, and music team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. God has always had a vision for multiplication. He's always had a vision for multiplication. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, what did he tell the first two people that he created? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And what was that about? It was about, I made you in my image. I made you to reflect my greatness and who I am. And so now, reproduce yourself and fill the whole earth with people who worship me and point each other to me. That's what Genesis 1 was about. Genesis 3 tells us that they blew it and consequently we blew it. And that's why we needed Jesus to rescue us and redeem us because our sin leads to death, both physical death one day and spiritual death, separation from God. So we needed Jesus to come to pay the price for our sin, to offer us forgiveness and life through his death and resurrection. So if that's you today, if you've been living in your own authority and you need to say, look, I don't want, I don't, I can't even have, I'm not good at having the authority anyway. I need to follow God in his ways. Listen, then turn to God today. Follow Jesus today. Because that's, that's his plan. That's what he wants. And if, if that doesn't convince you, consider Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28. What did he say? He said, 
and you will be, and, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, verse 19. But the question is, how would they do it? How would they, how would they make disciples of all nations? He says that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. And that's what happened. Roughly 10 days later, on, on the first day of Pentecost, we read about it in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, and this is what we're praying for today in Redemption Hill, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And God can do the same through you. He can do the same through me. I love Acts 4, 13. It talks about Peter and, 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 and John and it says, that when the people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, listen, that they were uneducated, common, ordinary men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So as you, as you follow Jesus, as he gives you his Holy Spirit and as he lights you up day by day and as he gives you more of his Holy Spirit, listen, there is nothing you can't do, nothing you can't do the, the, the life that Jesus is inviting us into, he's saying, I have given you everything you need. I've not left you without one resource that you need. I have given you everything because, listen, he has said, I have given you the gift of myself. The Holy Spirit isn't this, like, esoteric force that, like, you know, kind of, like, comes and goes. And it's just like, you know, the Holy Spirit is God. God himself coming to dwell within us and now empower everything that we do. Listen, if you, if you question whether or not you need more of God's spirit in your life, because here's a newsflash. Here's a newsflash for you. Yes, God gives us his Holy Spirit. And yes, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and, and we are sealed and we have life. But listen, we still need to continually be filled with the spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We need more of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. That's why Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And he uses this analogy. He said, look, if your kids come to you and they ask for fish, you're going to give them a stone? They ask for some bread, you're going to give them scorpions? No. But then he says this in verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. 
God, if I'm going to love my wife in the way that you call me to, I need your Holy Spirit to help me do it. I am selfish. I get lazy. I need your love to fill me up. I need your peace to push out the anxieties in my life because things don't go always go according to plan. I need your joy to fill me up, Holy Spirit. I need you to give me a little extra boldness because a lot of days your boy is a coward. But not when the Holy Spirit is in control. And he fills us up and he gives us these gifts by which we serve others and build them up and invite them into his kingdom. And so this is what I want to invite you to today. As our team leads us in this song, the song is a prayer. Just asking for this, more of God's spirit. Asking the God who can do a lot with a little to do more in us. As we live with him and for him every single day. Wherever it is, whatever it is in your life where you're just saying, God, I, I, need, I need more of you here. I need more of your, your spirit to fill me up, God. I need more of the fruit of the, your spirit. I need more of the gifts of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I, I want this, what Tanner described, this, this closer relationship with you. Guess what? The reason I wake up at 5.15 in the morning is because the Holy Spirit is saying, you better prioritize your time with God. There's nothing good in me, but there's everything good in him. And he is in me, and he is in you, if you have trusted Christ. And so let's pray, and then listen, we, I asked the, the, the Connections team, hey, clear out some chairs today. Like, keep your mask on because it's not May 29th yet, and I'll talk more about COVID changes next week. But listen, today, keep your mask on, keep distance. But if you just need to come down here, and you just need to get on your knees and pray, this is a space for you, listen, maybe, maybe, just, maybe you just, you're just so overwhelmed already by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed that I just can't move. I know that may like sound really strange to you, and we can talk about it another time because I'm over my time in the sermon today. So maybe you just need to sit there. Maybe, maybe you're at home, and, and you just need to like lay, <laughs> lay face down in your living room. Maybe you need to open your hands or lift your hands, whatever it is. Listen, however God, like God is seeing our hearts. He's about our hearts and he's about doing business in our hearts right now. And he's about pouring out his spirit into our hearts right now. And so God, we ask, we ask that in these moments, Lord, this would be just a simple sincerity of simple surrender. God, what I love about you is that you love every person that's, that's in this room today. You love every person that's joining us online today. And you're speaking to them right where they are. And so, God, we ask that you would give us more of yourself, more of your Holy Spirit. As we sing this prayer, as we call on your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.